Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When a person first gets saved, it's normally very exciting. It can be very exciting to discover that there is a God, that he has reached out to humanity. He reached out to us so that he could resurrect us from the dead spiritually so that we might have a relationship with him. Sometimes people will pursue him because they simply want a way out of hell, and they can be very excited about that. Sometimes people will pursue a relationship with God or want to know who he is because they expect that he's going to bless them in return. It might be that they're experiencing some tribulation in their life, and so they're turning to him in order to help compensate for things that they have lost. Sometimes people recognize that they themselves need to experience some significant change, and so they turn to God as a means of change, and Christianity is quite often looked at as an opportunity for a person to change who they are or experience change as God would do a work in their lives. So depending upon the reason why an individual pursues the Lord, that will normally have some influence with regards to why they are excited. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being excited, but what happens is that a person's excitement will tend to pass away after a period of time, and sometimes people can be very concerned about that. When that happens, people will begin to question, are they a Christian? Are they not a Christian? Are they experiencing the Christian life that they thought that they would experience? Are they getting the response from God that they expected? These are individual circumstances that people find themselves in when they first become a Christian by believing the gospel and responding to what they learn about the living God. But regardless of these individual circumstances, I find that for the most part, there's a common experience that most everyone has, and that is that a person is directed to live a life of holiness. At some point, a person recognizes that they are a Christian when they once were not, And they recognize that there should be some change in their life experience, that they should behave differently, that they should participate in different activities, that there are certain sins that they are not to commit anymore, things like that. Eventually, a person will come to discover that there are some expectations that people have of them, perhaps that God has of them. Sometimes this can happen a little bit sooner than other times. It really depends on what churches a person participates in. For example, it's not unusual for a person to respond to the gospel that the Lord does not hold their sins against them, that God will take them right where they are, who they are, no matter what's going on in their lives. God loves them. He wants them to turn to him, and he wants them to be one of his children. And so people respond to that. And then the next Sunday morning, they show up in church, and all they hear is, you dirty, rotten, evil sinner, Your God has turned his back on you. You had better get your flesh under control, or he might decide to change his mind and not let you into heaven at all, let alone do anything in your life between now and the time when you are confronted 
by him personally when you physically die. These are the kinds of messages that people hear. And so, of course, it depends on what kind of church a person participates in after they've been saved with regards to how long it might take before they start feeling a little depressed about what they've gotten themselves into. But regardless of how long it takes, this is something that people normally struggle with. It's a regular, common struggle. The struggle is, what do I do now? You know, once I've been saved, now that I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to do now? This is an important question for a person to ask and to wrestle with and to hopefully eventually get some answers to this kind of a question because there are different ways of approaching this kind of a question. I just want you to know that it's important to ask this question and it's important to wrestle with it. And at some point, the hope is, is that you will come to terms with what your life truly is to be about now. And hopefully, what you believe concerning that is true. If it's not, I believe that as long as you are sincere in your error, that it will eventually lead you to the point of despair once again, where you can ask this kind of question again to determine what you might have been believing that simply is not true. You know, before a person gets saved, they normally live by a standard of some kind already. It's very unusual to find somebody who doesn't have some kind of standard, some set of rules, some principles for life. I mean, it shouldn't take very long when having a conversation with a person before they will say something like, this doesn't seem right, or what they did or what happened just isn't right, or is right. This is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. At some point, people start to express themselves in that way, and this way that people believe concerning what is right or wrong is their personal standard of law. It is their standard of what is good and evil. But what happens normally is that when a person gets saved, they start to realize or they're told that their standard of good and evil, their beliefs concerning what is right or what is wrong, needs to conform or be adjusted or be replaced by the law of Moses, the law that Jesus expressed, that we are to now exchange the way that we lived before according to what we thought was right or wrong before, we are now to live in a different way according to the Bible that defines what is right and wrong. That we now have a new standard, a new system of life, a new set of principles for daily living. Most of religion can be defined in this way, that it is a system of good and evil. And of course, if you don't like the system or the lifestyle or the laws of one church, you can go to another Eventually, you will find a congregation that promotes a certain way of life or a certain standard that you would feel more comfortable with. And I certainly don't think that this is the solution or that this is the Christian life. I'm only saying this in order to express the fact that these are the kinds of normal struggles that a new believer will have when they first discover the gospel and the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a simple way to summarize this, and that is to say that for the most part, people believe that the Christian life has to do with living a life of getting your flesh under control. You are to live a life of reducing as much sin in your life as possible, that that's the way we are to live. We are to live in such a way that we say no to ungodliness. We say no to unrighteousness. And people believe that the way that this is going to be accomplished 
is by following a set of rules, laws, or principles for daily life so that a person can live in a certain way so that they can have some degree of confidence that they will not sin. That's what the Christian life is to most of the people who I personally have encountered. They believe that the goal of the Christian life is to stop sinning. The goal of the Christian life is to get your flesh under control. And when you accomplish this, then you will have achieved the goal of becoming a better person, conformed more to the image of Christ Jesus. You can then say that you are a great Christian. But I do not believe that this is the goal of the Christian life. I do not believe at all that the goal of the Christian life is to try to figure out some way to get your flesh under control. I do believe that a person should expect to experience a change, a transformation within their being to the extent that there will be a noticeable reduction of sin in their lives. I do believe that. I just don't believe that that is the goal. I believe that that is the side effect, but not the goal. And this is something that separates me from a lot of people, unfortunately, because for the most part, the Christian world is consumed with sin, consumed with trying to get the flesh under control and consumed with trying to get people to stop sinning. One of the reasons why is because there is also a sincere belief that people have that there is no way that God is going to have a personal relationship with an individual until they get their flesh under control. In addition to that, there are many people who believe that there is no way that he is going to bless a person until they get their flesh under control, or that he will intervene in their lives in a positive way until they get their flesh under control, that there's no way that they're going to know who their God is until they get their flesh under control. People believe that knowing full well that there's no way that anyone is going to get their flesh under control. And so what do people do with that? They say, well, you need to be as good as I am or maybe better than somebody else. You know, people start making some very bizarre comparisons at that point, comparing each other with each other, thinking that they're accomplishing something. I personally do not believe that this is valid at all, but this is the goal of the Christian life for many people. It is to get a person's flesh under control so that they might be able to begin to experience a relationship with their God. And unfortunately, because of this, many new believers will eventually turn away. Some will turn away sooner than others, but they will eventually turn away from what they started. They will turn away from their church. They will turn away from the faith that they tried to enter into because they will realize that they will never be able to accomplish what was advertised and they will never be able to experience what was promised. But I believe that the goal of the Christian life is different, that the goal of the Christian life is not about trying to stop sinning, but instead it's about learning to trust our God, learning to trust your God, trust him in the sense of believe what he has already said, believe in what he has already accomplished. You know, when a person begins their life, their Christian life, when a person pursues what they have entered into as a Christian on the basis of law, by default, what they are saying is, is that God still holds their sins against them. That's what they believe. Now, of course, the gospel has nothing to do with that. The gospel has to do with the fact that our sins have been forgiven, and he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. So, 
Where do people get this idea that he still holds our sins against us, that he still relates to us on the basis of our sin? Well, they get it from each other, for the most part. They don't get it from the scriptures. They get it from each other. They get it from the church that they are a part of. It's a fundamental teaching that is found throughout Christianity, always has been. It is a serious obstacle that there are many people who still believe that, even though, yes, it does contradict what they will also say concerning the gospel. They will say two things that are contradictory, and this becomes difficult, especially for new believers. But if he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore, then there is no law that he holds against us anymore or that he utilizes in order to condemn us, to judge us, or to determine whether he's going to bless us or not, or whether he's going to participate in our lives or not. He set us free from the law, so that we could walk in a newness of life based on trusting in what he has accomplished, trusting and believing in his forgiveness. Now, there are two ways to go with this. One way, of course, is to just simply rejoice and say, well, then let's just go out and sin and indulge our flesh. And certainly there are people who do that. I understand that. But that's not the only response that a person can have. There is another way to view this. Now that we have been set free we can now be loved by our God. We can now be accepted by our God. We can now trust in and rest in the grace of God. Now, I have confronted many pastors and church leaders about this issue. I've asked people many times, and I will continue to ask pastors this question, how do we disciple a new believer in Christ Jesus? And as I have asked that question in the past, I expect that I'll get a similar answer in the future, but I've asked this question of many pastors. And to summarize the answers, I would have to say that the answer that is most often given is that we are to teach them how to be holy. We are to teach them how to do that which is right, not do that which is wrong. Teach them about good and evil. In other words, we need to get their flesh under control. That's what people believe. That's what people hear. And so when I suggest that we are not to be led by the law, but we are to be led by the grace of God, people will be very concerned. They are very concerned when I mention that because they'll say things like, well, then what's going to keep people from sinning? Well, of course, nothing kept people from sinning to begin with. That doesn't help either. But people will say, you know, you're giving people a license to sin or the right to sin the ability to sin without any concern with regards to any consequences that they might experience. Well, of course, people are going to experience consequences from sin, and they don't need God's intervention for that. But that doesn't have to be the response. While many people will respond that way, I understand that. To me, that is not an excuse not to continue to tell the truth. The truth is, is that this provides us with another way of life. And I believe that we should continue to tell the truth about the forgiveness of sins, freedom from the law, knowing full well that there are many people who will use it as an excuse to indulge their flesh. In my opinion, it is worth it when you consider the few who will follow through with what the Lord has now provided in light of that truth. What he has provided is an opportunity to be loved by Him, accepted by Him, in a way that He never could unless He no longer held our sins against us. And you might think, well, gosh, what will that do? What's the value of that? 
What's the benefit of that? Being loved by God? Being accepted by God? Well, first of all, you will grow to know the love of God. You will grow to know the acceptance of God. You will grow to understand what He thinks, what He sees, how He sees the world that you are a part of. You will grow to understand the nature of His being. You will begin to see the heart of God. You will experience a sense of peace and rest in your own heart. In addition to that, because you have a need to be loved. You have a need to be accepted. And if you haven't noticed this, consider sin. Why is it that people sin? People sin because they want to be loved, because they want to be accepted. You know, sometimes people can be so preoccupied with trying to get the flesh under control that they never ask the question, they never consider, why is it that people sin anyway? Whether we are to sin or not to sin, or whether we're going to experience consequences or no consequences, whether God is going to hold it against us or not hold our sins against us, regardless of any of that, it's very unusual to find anyone who will ever consider, why do we sin? What is the reason? What is the root cause? I sincerely believe that virtually every sin, just about every sin, can be described as a combination of a person's pursuit or a person attempting to fill the deepest needs in their heart for love and acceptance, meaning and purpose. Again, every sin that a person can commit, or just about every sin, can be described as a person's attempt to try and meet the needs that they have to be loved, to be accepted, to have some sense of meaning or purpose in their lives, consider one of the sins that you personally commit and ask yourself the question, if I engage in this sin, do I expect to feel loved by doing so? Do I expect to feel as though I am maybe accepted by doing so? Certainly not by God, but maybe from somebody else. Will I feel as though I have a sense of meaning or purpose in my life? If you will evaluate your own personal circumstances, I have confidence that you'll find at least one sin that you will be able to identify and you can express it or define it in this way. And so if you have a need to be loved and accepted and the temptation of sin is that if you will engage in that sin, you will perhaps feel or believe that you are loved or accepted by doing so, well, then you can appreciate the value of the love of God because the love that God has for you because of his forgiveness, because he doesn't hold your sin against you anymore, the love that he has for you is enough. It is all that you have a need for. In fact, there is no way that you will ever feel fulfilled in your being, in your spirit, you will never be at peace in your heart. You will never feel the love that you have a need for outside of the love that only God can provide for you. When you are resting in his love for you, when you are resting in his acceptance for you, then the temptation of sin will lose its influence. It will lose its potency, its power, its appeal. 
It's attraction. When you rest in the love and acceptance of God, you will know the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And you will see that what is advertised to you in sin is nothing. And it will be trivial for you to say no. You will not say no because there was some law that said that you are not to do this. You will not say no because you are afraid that God is going to beat you in some way when you commit that sin. You're not going to say no because you are concerned that God might withhold blessings from heaven in your life. If you choose to sin, you will say no to sin because he accepts you, he loves you, you believe him. You trust Him, you rest in that, and you respond to that truth when confronted with a lie by saying, I will believe that which is true. If you abide in the Word of God, and if you abide in Him, you will grow to know the truth, and it is the truth that will set you free. But this is the side effect, it is not the goal. The side effect is that the grace of God will teach you to say no to sin, will teach you to say no to ungodliness, to say no to unrighteousness. It is the grace of God. The love of God and the acceptance of God are given to you by His grace, not by works. He doesn't owe you anything. He does so freely out of the love that He has for you. And the first thing that you need to understand in order to begin to embrace this is that you must understand that he does not hold your sins against you anymore. Not so that you can go out and indulge your flesh, but so that he can meet the deepest needs of your heart. The side effect is the reduction of sin, but the goal is so that you might know your God. You might know his heart. You might know his love, his acceptance. You might know who he is and what he gives to you. And as you live your life a little bit at a time, you will grow to discover over time, you will grow to discover what you have in Christ Jesus and how that will be applicable in your daily life as you are confronted with the circumstances of daily living. It is a life to be lived an experience to be realized over your entire lifetime. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus about this. In the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What is it that teaches us? It is the grace of God. Again, in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared to us, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Consider Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, where it says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God 
leads you to repentance. It is the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God that will lead a person to repentance, will lead a person to say no to sin. But the way that that is accomplished is by meeting the deepest needs of your heart, not by trying to encourage you to live on the basis of what is good or evil. He demonstrated to us through the law, through the nation of Israel, that there is no way that we can function on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil as he desires. He has saved us. He has set us free so that we might receive what we have a need for, which is him personally. And as we grow and mature in him and live our lives, he will do a work within us. But again, that is the side effect. The goal will always remain the same. And that is that you might grow to know your God. So if you are new to the faith, if you are a born-again believer according to the gospel that the Lord Jesus has now invoked as a result of what he has accomplished, if you're a new believer, to begin to grow to know your God, there are two things that I would want to encourage you to take the time to pursue in your life. The first thing, of course, is to read through the scriptures, because through reading the scriptures, you will grow to know your God in many different ways. The first way is that you will know what he has had to say in the past. You will know what he has done in the past. But to have an appreciation for the reasons why he said the things that he said, the reasons why he did the things that he did, You're going to have to pursue something in addition to that, and that is to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the differences between a life under law and a life under grace, that there is a significant difference between the two ways of life. Now, the programs that I recorded on the subject of spiritual warfare are actually a study on law and grace, and that is what I would like to encourage you to listen to. Also, the programs that I recorded on the subject of forgiveness are very important. But listen to the programs I did on spiritual warfare, and they will give you some insights with regards to the differences between living a life under law or under grace. And, of course, listen to the radio archive that I have available at livinggodministries.net. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net